you miss us? Cold Stove Podcast. Cold Stove Podcast. I am live from Austin, Texas. Your host, Brett Merriman. In front of me, from parts unknown, the uh, the man you haven't heard from in a minute. That's why we changed this today. NRD, what is going on, my man? How are you? I am great. It is finally time to break the vow of silence. Not that there was one, but it seemed like there was one. It's been longer than a minute, like you called out. Uh, but I'm glad to be back. I couldn't be happier to be doing this with you, pal. You're back. Cold Stove is here. It's a fun time of year we're getting into. All the, all the bullshit that you didn't want to hear us talk about is over. Now the fun stuff starts, and that's why we're back. Can you confirm or deny that uh, Gary had you uh, locked up under his desk for the last couple of weeks? You know, that's where I've usually that's where I've been for majority of my career mm-hmm. as NRD is underneath Gary Bettman's desk. Uh, been out, been back in, been out, been back in. Maybe made some appearances at some of the Stanley Cup final games. Who's to say? Um, uh, I but I have been around, and now it is time to uh, to get back to NRD and, and hit the ground running. Gary has released me. It, it would be fun if, like, throughout the career of NRD and just everybody trying to figure out what your deal is and who you are and where you are, if you were just like an all-time Florida Panthers fan in Miami. Yeah, yeah. You can, can you can you can can you cut that out? Like right now, you are you are not in Miami, and you are not a Florida Panthers fan. I'm not in Miami, Florida. Okay. I am not a Florida Panthers fan. Although I was, listen, I was pulling for them in that series. I, I really wanted to see them win their first Stanley Cup as opposed to uh, the salary cap, illegal circumventing changers, team. The, the circumventing Vegas Golden Knights. We'll touch on that later. But I was rooting for Florida in the Stanley Cup finals. But no, I'm not a diehard Florida Panthers fan. No, I'm not in the beautiful uh, sunlight of Miami right now. I am uh, somewhere a little bit colder. It's still nice here, but a little bit colder than Miami. There you go. Um, let's talk about that then, shall we? We 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 have we had cold stove episodes planned, and basically one life. Uh, this is both of our not full time responsibilities. Uh, if you know anything about us, but we also kind of made the decision we're just like, hey, you don't care about. Brett and NRD breaking down the Panthers' uh, breakout tendencies, you know, or, or like how how well Aiden Hill is playing. But we we could talk about that and week over week and just shoot the shit about that stuff. But you want to get into the 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 juicy stuff, the smoke, the rumors, the stuff that's actually going on, sort of behind the scenes, and that's why we're here to steer the ship through free agency and the draft and all that stuff. And then I'm sure we'll take a little summer cottage break, and then we'll be back for the season. As we get uh, as we get into the heat of stuff, so NRD, let's start back at the Stanley Cup. I personally thought that the Vegas Golden Knights made it boring in a way. Is that is that a crazy take? They they were so buttoned up. They got healthy. The, probably the most interesting thing of that whole team was was the one B goalie getting hot and earning himself a contract. So where do you? kind of land as far as just a Stanley Cup recap. Your thoughts on the Vegas Golden Knights, your thoughts on the Panthers, how their their paths like just just I'll give you the floor as far as the Stanley Cup goes and then we can uh break into the the fun stuff. Yeah, I, I you know it was a fun playoffs. I mean, we last spoke going into the conference finals with Dave on. We talked about mm-hmm. Dallas Stars hockey as they were going up against the Golden Knights. Um and then the Golden Knights beat the uh, beat the Dallas Stars. Florida Panthers cruise past the Carolina Hurricanes, and 
quite honestly, I, I think there was a lot of of discourse about how this was going to be boring to southern, you know, southern or south hockey Sun Belt teams in the Stanley Cup final. And truth be told, I don't think that had anything to do with the the lack there of interest. It was simply like you said, Vegas just went out and made it boring. They dominated the Florida Panthers. I think they ran out of gas. You know, Florida ran out of gas at the end there. Bobrovsky had a heck of a playoff, played like the $10 million goalie that, you know, they had signed him to three or four years prior, but just fell apart. I, I think they were clearly they were hurt. I mean, you look at that laundry list of injuries that those guys had. You're missing Ekblad and Montour for probably the first three months of the next season, if not longer. To Chuck's playing with a broken sternum, which dangerous as hell. I mean, I understand that we want to be like, hey, what a warrior out there, but that's kind of dumb. And uh, and he played through that for game four and obviously didn't take the ice in game five. So you got a Vegas team, like you said, that was healthy, was ready to go, and they went up against a, a battered and bruised Florida Panthers team that did about as well as they could in terms of their playoff run from going from the AC to the Stanley Cup final. Just unfortunately, they ran into a juggernaut, and that juggernaut are the Stanley Cup champions in the Vegas Golden Knights. Jonathan Marchessault takes home the uh, Conn Smythe. What what do you see from a guy you know like kind of like him and and he is not a superstar. He is maybe not even the best player on his team. Yet he just kind of like you you need a guy like him to win a Stanley Cup, right? Like everybody says it every year. Uh, Barbashev, same kind of thing. The Arturi Lekkinen Player of the Year, Cold Stove Podcast Award presented by your name here. Hit me in the DMs if you'd like. Could be you. <laughs> it could be you. Um, when you see Jonathan Marchessault, so what do you take away from him as a, as a player and and his part of of the Stanley Cup run? Like, why why does he become so valuable this time of year? You know, I'm sure as as everybody's seen out there. I know you've seen his William Carlson speech on stage. Right? We've waited six years for this guy to be MVP, and the truth be told, he was kind of the the glue in that organization. He was an original misfit there. So was Riley Smith. I mean, you want to look back and one of the worst moves of all time. Florida giving Vegas both Jonathan Marceau and Riley Smith to not take Alex Petrovic in that uh, expansion draft. Alex Petrovic's not in the NHL. I think he's playing in Siberia somewhere right now. <laughs> um, so all-time move there by the Florida Panthers to set that up. And uh Talk about a guy that's come up clutch time in and time out. I mean, this is a team that's been to four out of the last, you know, four conference finals in their first six years in the NHL. And each time Jonathan Marsh so has been a key contributor for that for that team, whether it was the 26, uh, 2017 team, 2019 team. So, like, he's been a key contributor on that Vegas team. And finally, his time to shine. He was hot. He was scoring at a ridiculous clip. He had a top flight center playing with him. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Stanley Cup champion Jack Eichel. Um, Giving him the puck. Yeah, I know. It's a big one for you. We could talk. I want to I hear you talk about that for a minute, so I'm going to stop here. But, no, it's just Marshall Show's time to shine. And it's not like we haven't seen this from him time in and time out from his Stanley Cup runs or playoff runs with the Vegas Golden Knights. Finally had the opportunity to have that long runway to, to be clutch, and he was. He absolutely was. He absolutely was. And, that, and that's, you, you know, you just – it seems so obvious when you look back on these Stanley Cup teams. Like, oh, yeah, that guy is just a key – whether it's first, second, third, fourth liner, defense, you know, there's just like that key guy that you're just, oh yeah, no shit. They, you can't win without that guy. And he became that for Vegas. And, and you know, you could have given it to Hayden Hill if you wanted to. You could probably give it to Mark Stone if you, like there was a, a number of guys. But he just, 
time, night in, night out, was just one of those, you kind of set your watch to it, guys, that you knew you were going to get a, a top effort, going to get a point or two, and, and you want to stand like that because of it in, like we said, sort of a boring fashion. They just steamrolled everybody. everybody. I set like, my bankroll to it. Did you? Jonathan Marshall, so over one point. <laughs> well done. Just, just yeah, set it and forget it. Set it. But uh, you mentioned our friend Jack Eichel. It was going to be a, a tough uh, Stanley Cup for for Sabres fans out there regardless because you have the Brandon Montour and Sam Reinhart champion or you have the Jack Eichel champion. And, you know, my th- I, I, did, I got a ton of DMs like, dude, what do you, you know, fuck you, fuck you, Eichel kind of stuff. And I'm happy for him. I'm 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 in, I'm thrilled for him. If you look at where the trajectory of that trade at this point, both teams are very 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 happy with the outcome. Obviously, Jack Eichel is a Stanley Cup champion in a big market where he can shine. And the, the Sabers are set up to be uh, like the expectations next year are going to be immense because of guys like Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs and and uh, you know like the the, the windfall of that trade so i i'm i am so happy for jack he he needed to get out you know he was fed up with two rebuilds and and the the city of buffalo clearly and i that hurts you know it's i wouldn't maybe not have gone insulting the fans leaving the you know leaving the city but you know he's an emotional guy who maybe lacks some emotional maturity and we've known that forever and he can kind of be a dick but man is he not a fucking great hockey player so he goes to he goes to vegas to win a cup he wins a cup he stays relatively healthy you know even in getting absolutely smoked left and right uh he doesn't necessarily score at the clip that he probably wanted to in the playoffs but uh certainly was involved you know i think over a point per game player still. Yeah, well, right? he ends up being a point per game, but like I I shouldn't say playoffs. Stanley Cup when he was kind of yeah, just correct. Uh, uh less of a of a scorer, more of a decoy, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy for him. I really am. I truly, truly, truly am happy for him. Now that he's got his cup, I'm I want Vegas to finish last. It should be you know. Yeah, no, that's right. Honestly, like to, to end the Jack Eichel chapter, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it's I think it it rounds everything out and makes things complete and whole. The fact that he got out of Buffalo in the way he did, and obviously, did, you know, with the fan base and insulting the fan base, but it's not like he went to some team where he kind of just meddled out and was like decent, but never won anything. And why would you request a trade? It's not like the grass was greener. Like the grass was greener. He mm-hmm. went out and won a Stanley Cup within two years of that trade. So mm-hmm. kudos to him for that. Totally. Yeah. I think everybody's vindicated. Everybody's right. You can be annoyed with it you can be happy with it you can be uh, uh pissed off at jack and you can be happy for jack this is like a truly everybody has won jack got his way wins the stanley cup the sabers got their way are set up for the future a truly 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 a just everybody's in a better spot now sam reinhardt i people are like bring sam back you know he's got that okay i think i think sam really hated buffalo like more than Jack, Eichel. more than Jack Eichel, yeah. The, yeah. Based on what I've heard and, and what I know, uh, and, you know who I really like though, NRD, and this show, you know, they could actually sponsor the Arturi Lekkinen Cold Stove uh, Deadline Acquisition of the Year Award. 
How about our friends at Shopify? Cha-ching. Cha-ching. That means you have made a sale. And when you make a sale, you Shopify to, uh, to build the platform, or excuse me, to, to be the platform that you build your brand on to make those sales. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling uh, hockey jerseys, NRD, shouts to our boy Steve over at Men's League Sweaters. Great guy. You might, you might even know him. I, I, he's in my hockey league in Austin. Is he? Oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a men's league sweater. There you there's go. A, there's a one of one NRD men's league no sweater shit. out there. I'm just well, gonna, I'm just well, gonna throw that out there. Major shouts to Steve, who uh, I had no idea he's in my hockey league, and major shouts to Shopify, who he has built his platform on over at Men's League Sweaters. Check them out too. But Shopify simplifies selling online and in person, so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person point-of-sale system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces such as TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. It's packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth. And Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Uh, if you're familiar with Washed Media and the show, we build our uh, our e-com platform on Shopify. That's hats, that's sweaters, that's shirts, stickers, you name it, all built on Shopify. Uh, so when you go to washmedia.shop, that's the, you know, that's the Shopify ending there, the URL, you'll see what Shopify can do for you. Super easy to load in products, make descriptions, set prices, give discounts. Uh, the whole night. And you, uh, for me, a guy who doesn't know anything about coding a website, it makes it look pretty slick because it's kind of like one of those drag and drop situations. You can customize websites with very limited knowledge of building websites. Really, really intuitive program. And my favorite part of it is they have a live map view. So when we put some hats on sale, you can see all the little blips all, all over the map from across the country and across the world when people are, are logging onto your site. Pretty cool stuff. So now it's your turn to get serious about selling whatever product or service or, or, or you that you want. You can sell your time, NRD. Consultation with NRD. 30 minutes, $9 million. How's that sound? Do it on Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash stove. All lowercase there, by the way. Go to shopify.com slash stove to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash stove. NRD. Coaching carousel time. We've had, I believe it's, is it six head coaching changes uh, this off season already? Brett can see I'm I'm counting on my fingers right now. You are. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. So we have Greg Cronin in for Dallas Eakins in Anaheim. We have Spencer Carberry in for Peter Laviolette in Washington. We have Mike Babcock in for Brad Larson at Columbus. Ryan Huska in uh, Calgary for Doe Sutter. Andrew Burnett has finally gotten his head coaching gig in Nashville. And the, the granddaddy of them all, Peter Laviolette taking over for the, the New York Rangers. NRD, which would you like to kick off? Well, who's Greg Cronin? 
So we don't have to talk about that. True. Spoo's Spencer uh, no, no, Greg Cronin. Greg Cronin's been grinding at the AHL level for quite some time now. So it's good to see him get a job. And Ryan Husker, the same thing. He's been a coach in the AHL. So good for them. I don't mean to belittle them, but really what people want to talk about is Peter Laviolette in New York. And I think Babs. people want to talk about Mike Babcock talk about back in Columbus. And uh, you know what? Spencer Carberry in Washington, that's a guy that they've been after for quite some time now. And Carberry's been this hot name because he's run the power play in Toronto under Sheldon Keefe and that coaching staff. So he was kind of due for that opportunity. He gets one in Washington. So uh, I'm interested to see how that works out. A young first-time head coach with a team that really should rebuild but won't as Ovechkin chases the great one, goal record. So it, interesting mesh of, uh, of new and old there in Washington. So let's go to Columbus then with Mike Babcock. Uh, a, a lot of people have had problems with Babcock. A lot of guys who now maybe do podcasts for a living uh, have talked about Babs in, in one way or another. But he has a resume, certainly. Been, uh, been out of the lead for a second. What, what do you see in bringing Babcock to a place like Columbus? Is it sort of like a you know, high, high ceiling, high floor kind of thing? Like, what, what is the idea of bringing a guy like that to a team like Columbus? The, the idea, and I don't know, it, it sounds great in theory. I don't know if it's going to be great in practice. But uh, bringing a guy like Babcock to that Columbus team, think about where Columbus is at in their, in their direction, their path as an organization. They made big moves last offseason. Right, they they bring in Johnny Gaudreau and you put him with Patrick Laine. They have younger guys there and and, and Roslovic and they have Kent Johnson now that's there. Like they have young pieces ready to take that next step. Zacharinsky is going to be healthy on the blue line, and now they just traded for Ivan Provorov, and they're still making moves. So, you know, that's a team that is ready to take that next leap. You bring in a coach that has had issues. I mean, let's not absolve the fact that I mean he is. There's hazing, and then he straight up bullied players, and that's legit. And those are allegations that, you know, I don't even know if they're allegations at this point. I think Babcock's been like, "Fuck yeah, I bullied them. What am I supposed to do?" <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, like Babcock is unapologetically an asshole, and uh, it doesn't necessarily make him a bad coach. He's just unapologetically an asshole. So, I, I think the idea behind that is bringing him in and pushing that team to start to play with some sort of identity, right? Because they're on paper. They're a pretty solid club. They're a really solid club on paper. They were last year. They did not play with any semblance of an identity, uh, with passion, with drive, with effort last year, and they finished where they should have finished because they sucked. Um, they struggled a little bit with the injury bug. Obviously, mentioned Wierenski being out. Line A battled with some injuries earlier on in the season, but they didn't have that identity. They didn't have that effort, so you bring in a guy who for the right or wrong reasons, is going to get that effort out of them. And I think it's, it's highly combustible. I would love to be a fly on the wall to see Mike Babcock and Ivan Provorov in the locker room. Oh, uh, can you imagine? Um, but, but they're, you know, it's kind of a break glass in case of emergency move from Yarmo Kekalainen, who, you know, has kind of absolved himself from any real flack over the last, you know, three or four years. But it hasn't been great there in Columbus, and results are king. Gotta have to Got to turn around results sooner than later. Have to turn around results sooner than later. Yeah, with with Yarmo, it's it's kind of one of those things. It's let's let's run through you know sort of the new up and coming coaches. Let's let's run through uh, retreads. 
And now it's Babcock who, you know, Stanley Cup and then, hey, let's get serious about what we're doing here. And I guess we're going to see where it ends up. I, I, by all accounts, Columbus, you know, you think of them, they're a small market team. They're this and that. Everybody loves playing in Columbus. I mean, it's it's a beautiful city with a lot of young, like young families kind of, it's up and coming. It's it's growing, which you, you don't really think of Ohio and think like, oh, kind of a bustling little metropolis. But it's where Ohio State is. You know, there, there's a lot going on there that I think, Players, once they get there, they're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. I think Babcock knows that. I think Yarmo knows that. Now they can kind of paint that picture versus being like, hey, we're going to be the underdog team. And and now we have Johnny Goudreau and Patrick Line, and let's see where mm-hmm. it ends up. David uh, Severson, another addition on that blue line. Yeah. Got to mention. Absolutely. So they got strong on the back end. Yeah. I, I think they're going to be kind of a, one of those fascinating teams to watch. You know, Are they a playoff team? I don't think so. But, uh, you know, that's a team that you look for improvement from, uh, for sure. Let's go to the other kind of headline coaching hire. That's in New York with Peter LaViolette. Uh, The Gerard Gallant Rangers became sort of this, why why can't they break that next step, sort of Mm Toronto-esque? Even though they had advanced farther than Toronto, obviously, but couldn't get to this, you know, couldn't get to that mountaintop and even compete for that title. Granted, there's really good teams in the East, and you know, there's outside factors, obviously, but just couldn't crack the code. Gallant out, Chris Drury and Co. bring in Peter Laviolette. Why, why Laviolette is is kind of my question because. He's not necessarily like a perennial fixed guy. You know, he just kind of seems like a a dick, but he's a player's coach in a way because he honors the veterans. But New York has kind of a mix of veterans and young guys. Like, why, why, why the fit in New York for LaViolette? And was that option number one for them, I guess? You know, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of talk out there, rumors, whatever you want to call it, that option one was Joel Quenville in New York. Okay. Andy Strickland tweeted out yesterday that Joel Quinville and uh, I was going to yeah, Stan Bowman. I was going to say Scotty, geez. Uh, Stan Bowman oh boy. and Quinville have started their process to get reinstated with the NHL yesterday, and you're not going to hear much about it, but it's, it's an ongoing process. It might take some time. I don't know if the Rangers were waiting around to see if that process with Joel Quinville was going to get done sooner than later. I really don't because we heard it and that was all the talk. I mean, you, you saw it from everywhere. Greg Wyshynski tweeted out during the playoffs, good friend of the show, Johnny Lazarus tweeted out. That was, that was what was being talked about in, in that circle, you know, in that Rangers playoff series against New Jersey was if they go down, Joel Quinville is going to be the next man up. And then Larry Brooks, the New York post throws cold water on that shortly after says the Rangers were never interested in Joel Quinville. Honestly, I think the truth lies somewhere in between. I, I would, think that with Patrick Kane potentially coming back to this team and Artemi Panarin there and the ability to win a Stanley Cup now with this roster, I'm sure the Rangers explored Joel Quinville. I don't believe that they weren't interested in all at all. Um, I think it more so came down to the factor that they didn't want to wait the whole, like Joel Quinville's not reinstated. So if you were going after Q as your coach, were you not going to have a coach at the draft? Were you not going to have a coach going into free agency? And I think that was the bigger factor for the Rangers. And I think the 
the rumors that started to circulate was a classic James Dolan, put it out there as a PR move and see what the public thinks about it. Little test balloon. I think and he, I think he, it failed. Is he, he's like the king of doing that. He does it all the time. He does it all the time so, across multiple properties. That's exactly what I think that was. So I think the truth lies somewhere in between them being very interested and not interested. And, and now they end up with Laviolette. I think he was their first choice after Quinville, if Quinville was even a choice. So I don't think they settled there. They interviewed Carberry. They interviewed Jay Leach. They interviewed Chris Nabois. They did not interview Patrick Waugh, which I would have given an interview to Patrick Waugh. They interviewed John Hines, newly fired in, in uh, Nashville, and they interviewed Peter Laviolette. There was a lot of talk that Hines was close to getting that job from those that I spoke to that know the situation pretty well, I think. Um, not I think, I know they know the situation pretty well. I think they know the situation pretty well. Was that Hines, I don't think, got the look as a head coach, per se, as much as Drury just interviewing a friend from BU who just got fired, potentially as a fit for even Peter Laviolette's staff, per se. Or if something were to happen and Laviolette took the Columbus job or took the Calgary job and now you're kind of left scrambling, you're gaining information by interviewing these coaches. So I think that was more the John Hines smoke than them actually targeting John Hines to be their next head coach. And yeah, now you end up with Peter Laviolette, a coach who I've joked around and said is Gerard Gallant in a different font. Um, it's the same coach. It's going to be the same team. They, they're too hamstrung by the salary cap to really do much of anything. I think you have to struggle just to bring back the roster you had last year. And that's not including Tarasenko. And that might not even include Patrick Kane. We'll see. I think there's a lot of smoke out there that he's going to sign a one-year deal in New York and then go on LTIR while he nurses his hip. Um, oh. So I think that's a strong possibility. But uh, but you're going to run it back with the same roster. And now you have Peter Laviolette, who I have heard, and you know, Brett and I had spoke yesterday as a little, little production meeting before the show. Um, we talked about how there's smoke out there that this could be a one and done for Laviolette. The New York Rangers fall short because you're cleaning house. I mean, Chris Drury has made this hire. This is the guy Chris Drury's going down with. This is the ship he's attached his uh, hitched his wagon to. And if the Rangers fall short, how do you then sell this? Because this is a team that's bound for a rebuild in a couple of years when you have to pay a goaltender in Igor Shesterkin ten million dollars, and you're severely severely hamstrung by Artemi Panarin's contract and Jacob Trouba's contract, these bigger contracts that you've given out, Barclay Goodrow. So this is it for them. So if they don't get it done this year or next, maybe even next, I think you're finding yourself in a similar situation again to Gerard Gallant. What does a guy like Peter Laviolette do for an Alexi Lafreniere? Let's start with what, what, what does a Lafreniere contract look like this summer? And then what does Laviolette do for Lafreniere? Does he, does he sort of say, hey, we're going to put you on the power play. We're going to get you like in that Ovechkin sort of slot. Or we're going to like, how do you define a role? And what, what does a guy like Laviolette do for a, a player like Lafreniere who maybe hasn't, you know, he's certainly not a bad player but maybe hasn't taken the NHL by storm like many might have thought he might. Yeah, you know, Peter Laviolette, from all that he's shown us as a head coach, at least in the past couple of stops in Nashville and in Washington, is one sort of a meritocracy, right? You have to earn your playtime, you know, and you have to play well in the positions that he puts you into, then jump up the lineup. Now we can argue about whether he's putting those guys in the best positions to succeed and earn that time. That's, I think, is a legitimate question that Ranger fans have, and, you know, they should have. But Lexi Lafreniere is probably going to end up with a one- or two-year bridge deal. It's all the Rangers really can afford, and it's all he really has garnered. I mean, he has not done anything that deserves that bigger contract. And I think that kind of, you know, in a, in a 
spin zone kind of way works for them because they don't have the cap. If, if Alexi Lafreniere was playing gangbusters, they don't necessarily have the cap space to bring back Alexi Lafreniere on a big deal. So I think the bridge contract works for both parties. I don't think a trade's coming. You know, there's been some smoke out of Vancouver, Seattle potentially. I, I think if Vancouver were to put 11 on the table and maybe a Brock Besser and a package with the Rangers sending some pieces, maybe cap dumping Barclay Goodrow. I know it sounds a little fantasy land, but I, I think that's something that obviously the Rangers would listen to. Besser fits a little bit more into their window of contention than Alexi Lafreniere. But outside of that, I, Alexi Lafreniere is going to be on the New York Rangers roster this coming season. And you're going to sign him to a one or two year bridge deal. And you're going to hope Laviolette gives this kid opportunities, both in the top six and on the power play, because if not, you know, it's hard to sit there and say this kid isn't when you're not giving him the opportunities to be. And I think the Rangers have struggled with that. They've had some really, really poor development with their draft picks over the past, you know, three, four, five, six years, going back to Leah Sanderson. And, you know, outside of really Keandre Miller, you could say they've had some big, big misses in the draft, mm-hmm. whether that's like I said, you know, crafts off Vitaly crafts off, especially on the, with forwards. I mean, I, I like Braden Schneider a lot too. Yep. Um, but, but forwards, I mean, it's just who is, who is their hit of the last couple of years? What uh, you can Hedl, say, we can argue about Philip Hedl and maybe Capo Caco starting to develop into not the elite goal scorer that people thought he was, but definitely a solid middle six secondary score. He's continuing to develop. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, we've talked about this and I'll end this, you know, soapbox really quickly here, but. We've said this on the show a lot. Like they are still 21, 22 years old. Yeah. So you, no, you're knowing totally that, right. you know, I mean, there are time, there's time for them to develop. Kako's 22 and Lafreniere's 21, right? Like yeah. Tage Thompson breaks out at 24 and that's three years from now. You know, for, so I think when these guys come in and, and there's sort of this trend of guys coming in and playing at 18, 19, 20 verse, maybe Lafreniere should have spent a year dominating AHL competition, whatever it might be. And, and I think the CHL has something to figure out with kids like that, where they come in, you either play juniors or NHL. There, there's not, you, you cannot go in between. You can't. And I think that's that, that hurts teams, that hurts development, that hurts contract situations, and that hurts uh, expectations, really, in the end. Uh, who, before we jump off the Rangers, who is the odd man out? Is there an odd man out this summer? Like, you got to pay Keandre Miller. You got to pay Lafreniere. You got, what, $10, 12000000 million in cap space. You got Tarasenko, Kane, Tyler Mott, who's who's not a bad player. Like, is there an odd man out who's on the t- – is it are, – are you trying to flip Heedle's contract? Are you trying to flip Goodrow's contract? Like, what is – if you're Drury and you know you you have to – like, we, we can't blow this thing up right now. You really can't blow it up if, even if you tried. Your core is established for the next three or four years. Is there sort of the consensus among Ranger faithful that, hey, Heedle's got to go this summer to make anything work? I don't think it's Heedle. It's Barclay Goodrow. And the problem with Goodrow is the contract's just an albatross. It's going to cost, you know, it would cost the Rangers, I think, not this year or next, but the third year. I think it would be $3 million on the salary cap in a buyout situation. So you can't do that. You're going to have to pay some sort of, premium to to dump his salary somewhere whether it's in arizona or vancouver or you know uh, detroit still operates pretty close to the floor i mean they i think they're starting to turn the page i don't think they're a cap dump destination anymore but maybe in anaheim like you're gonna have to pay to get rid of that contract that's gonna hamper them big time good would be the odd man out if jury's able to get that done 
But if not, you know, I can't see them flipping Hedo for anything less than a hockey trade. So unless you're bringing a guy that can contribute in that spot, I don't think they get rid of Hedo. Who else are you getting rid of? You can't move Panarin's contract. I don't think you want to move Panarin's contract. You're not moving Kreider. You're not moving. You can't move Truba. I think they would like to if they could. I don't think you're going to move Truba. So at this point, it's Barkley Goodrow, or it's kind of scrape together any dollars and cents as you can get. And maybe, maybe that's bring back Tyler Mott on a one-year cheap deal. Maybe that's getting creative. Like I said, there is legitimate smoke out there with Patrick Kane coming back on a one-year deal getting stashed on LTIR till post trade deadline and then coming back healthy. So he's got that hip surgery. It's a legitimate issue. Now we can argue whether he's healthy before or after the deadline, but he's going to be on LTIR to start the year. So that's a possibility for them to get a little creative. You got kids like Brendan Offman and Will Coley who could be up on the big club next year, filling in that fourth or third line role. So there are, there are pieces that Chris Drury can play with, but they're relatively cheap and they're almost all in-house. Yeah, best contract in hockey, Jimmy Vesey. Eight hundred first, <laughs> first line winger, Jimmy Vesey. Let's go to a team. Uh, oh, one one quick thing on the Rangers: uh, Artemi Panarin haircut, yes or no? Uh no, not a fan. Not a fan. He, hey, he got to get the demons out somehow. Uh, let's and go Michael to, Pekka. The other oh, thing, Michael yeah, Pekka. Shout out to Michael, Michael Pekka. Uh, one of those guys. Like I, I had smoked on Pekka last year. He was getting offers. This year, I was like, well, he's gone. I, I don't think Pekka and Granado get along very well. I'll say that. I think they I think they respect each other. I think they're both good coaches. I think they're a little, uh, Pekka's a little bit of a, a personality. Well, that's, that's what I'll say there. Um, let's go to a team that's sort of in this, I don't, I don't know, wasteland is probably the wrong word. Uh, upheaval is, is closer to w- what, they're going through, but the perpetual shit show that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Shasta Shack, who I'm know is, is laughing right now. New GM comes in. Coach stays, which you don't see a lot. Well, I guess their GM sort of weirdly quit, resigned, said he loves his family, and then goes to Pittsburgh like nine days later. Yeah. What What do you make of? What in the world is happening north of the border right now? I don't know. I, I really don't know <laughs> what to make of it because Kyle Dubas. Kyle like, Dubas. Like we, there's so many NHL media. Sorry to interrupt you. I just no. There's you're fine, so you're many Toronto-based people. Like if you take if you take a guy like myself, who you know, obviously a Buffalo fan, but if you take like a guy in my office right now, and you and you tell them. Who that they're football fans or baseball fans, they're not really hockey fans. They're, they know hockey, but they don't know hockey. And you tell them what happened in Toronto the last six months, they'd be like, What the fuck? But if you have guys that like that we follow and communicate with and in NHL Twitter, like it's the shit show is almost like unless you take a step back and look at it from a from a thirty thousand yeah. foot view. And you've been in it for so long. You're like, well, this and this and this. But if you take a step back, Toronto's a shit show. Oh, yeah. Toronto's no, a shit I show. Make a great point. Like, I think we don't realize it as much because we're covering it day in and day out and talking about it. But, yeah. It, to Kyle Dubas saying he wants to be with his family and spend more time there and step away and then take the Pittsburgh job. Clearly, two different things there. I, I You know, Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas had both shared their side of the story. And there's some truth in between each of them. but. 
what I think really happened and what went down was Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas got to the negotiating table about three or four months ago, as both of them have said and corroborated. And, you know, Kyle Dubas was noncommittal because of those reasons, the family reasons and whatnot. And when Kyle Dubas came to the table with a, with a contract offer, his agent, that was well outside the ballpark of what Brendan Shanahan was willing to pay, I, I think that the tide changed from, hey, we're going to let this guy go spend his time with his family and maybe right off into the sunset to, no, fuck you, you're out of here. Uh, change of scenery in the organization. And I think Kyle Dubas also said, you didn't want to pay me this? Screw you, I'm going to spend time with my family, but I might get another job. Maybe I won't get a day-to-day job as the GM, but I'll be the president of hockey ops somewhere. Maybe have a little, maybe I'll get an extra 10 PTO days a year, a new role, but like still work. And I think that's really what happened in Toronto. So now Brad Tree Living steps in from Calgary, who like we could talk about how Calgary fell apart from what they had on the roster to what they have on the roster now. He was kind of backed into an impossible situation with two guys, two studs who did not want to be in Calgary. Yeah, which is, which is tough, and right? Matthew Chuck. And, and I don't think they didn't want to be in Calgary for Calgary-related reasons. They didn't want to be in Calgary because they both were American-born kids, both wanted to be back on the East Coast, closer to family, closer to that. So I think Tree Living was in an impossible situation in Calgary. He's stepping into another impossible situation in Toronto. Now, I think this situation in Toronto is a little bit harder to fuck up than the Calgary situation because, you know, they're a good team. They're a great roster on paper. You're to- you're putting out on the ice two of the best players, two of the top 10 players in the NHL on any given night in Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Like it's really hard to screw this up. So it takes a really special personality to screw it up. And I don't, I don't think Trevor living is going to do that, but he's going to have to navigate rebuilding that bottom six in Toronto. And he's going to have to navigate the back end and, you know, God forbid they want to chase after a real goaltender for once in their lives. Connor Hallibook's a free agent or not a free agent, but uh, on the block and going to command a new contract. So, like, there are pieces that Toronto can play with. It's just about putting the dominoes, stacking them in the right order. I think with Toronto, I think that's one of the biggest problems with them is, do they have any prospects? I mean, do they have any guys that you're waiting on? Like, they, they don't have anything. anything Nick Robinson, J-Rob's brother, but he's not really, he's more of like a change of scenery player at this point. Yeah. Not like a highly touted prospect. I mean, I'm looking at their their prospects right now, and it's just, it's really nothing. I mean, you gotta maybe that's a reason Dubas is is like I'm 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 out. You know, I I know if you look at October first, twenty twenty five, two years from now, just two years from now, and I know this is not this this is obviously sort of like a straw man here, but if you go two years in the future. They have two guys on their team, Morgan Riley and Kelly Yarncroke. Just two years, if you look at where everybody's contract falls and lands and stops, and people are going to get signed this summer, I get that, but two guys. So even then, there's just not, there's this idea of non-continuity, like this iteration of the Maple Leafs is going to cease to exist. And do you run out the Matthews, Marners, Tavares, Nylander show again and again and again? And I, my question to you is, if you're Austin Matthews, are you doing the same thing that Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk have done and said, I, 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 I'm not the face of Toronto. I want to go be the face of 
Houston or Atlanta or Miami? Like, what do you, what do you do? And and wh- where has this, you know, I I don't think it's ever a good sign when you're meeting with team presidents and like, hey, we got to figure out what Matthews' situation is, and we're not going to start contract talks. We're just kind of feeling each other out, and which I get. Go have a steak at uh, Carbone or you name it. But it does. Does the future of the Maple Leafs not feel incredibly, incredibly uncertain at this point? It feels incredibly uncertain. And if you're Austin Matthews, you you kind of asked there. I think it was a little bit more rhetorical, but I'll answer it. What do you do? You don't sign this this summer. Yeah. You have another year left till you hit free agency. You have a whole other season to play under contract. I know you want your money because listen, it's not for long. The sport in this game. It takes one you know unfortunate night to not be able to get paid anymore that being said he's toronto's gonna want him no matter what so if if austin matthews is hell-bent on staying in toronto and being a maple leaf for life they're gonna be there in, a, in six months from now when you when you're still at the negotiating table why not have another great year why not get another year closer to free agency why not see what the hell happens with the salary cap next season and maybe have a chance of becoming the league's first 13 14 15 million dollar player $20 million player. Like, I, I know it's a bit of a vast exaggeration, but why not kick this can down the road a little bit? Because really, it's Austin Matthews playing with house money. He's there. He, Toronto's going to want him. Toronto's not giving up the, the best, one of the best players in the National Hockey League. So he's got a place. To, he, he's got his safety school. He's got his, he's got his place to fall back on in Toronto. Why not just get closer to that date and explore and see what's out there? Listen, tampering. Austin Matthews knows or has a pretty damn good idea of what his value would be on an open market with, you know, salary cap being at X, Y, Z. Why not get closer to that date if you're Austin Matthews? Don't sign the contract now, even if you want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf for life. Uh, question for you, and maybe you need to know a little bit more about Canadian currency than I do. Do you think Austin Matthews could do better outside hockey from like a uh, endorsement standpoint? in Toronto, like the volume, but also the taxes versus being the guy in LA or Anaheim or, or Seattle in America. Like you have your $13 million contract in a couple of years. Do you, does he do better in Toronto with endorsements or would he do better in a, in a New York aside place in America? Uh, this, I, I don't know the answer to this, so this is this is me putting you very much on the spot. I think he does better in LA than Toronto. I think so too. I, yeah, Similar I really tax do. kind of deal, but is that the? I think he does better anywhere in the continental U.S. than Toronto. So you look at, I mean, you look at sort of the smoke that's been trickling out over the last, I don't know, year or so. Are are we headed for sort of this cataclysmic McDavid Matthews? Like like top ten players in the league, basically all switching markets. Is that kind of where this this falls in the next couple of years? And and is the salary cap increase going to be to blame for that? It, I don't think it's blame in a good way or a bad way. I think it's a great thing. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah it's sort of I, like I if, if these guys know that the cap's going up, going to buy ten million dollars over the next couple of years. Knock on wood. Well, why not? Well, blame could be placed on the salary cap, but the blame could also be placed in their own teams, yeah. right? Like sure. McDavid, Connor McDavid should have a Stanley Cup. 
Austin he should, Matthews he absolutely should have should. a Stanley Cup. He should have three Stanley Cups with that roster in Toronto. Maybe like McDavid is a more or less a one man mm-hmm. show in Edmonton at times. Obviously, you got Leon and Nugent Hopkins had a fantastic year this year. I don't want to take away anything, but like Toronto's a better roster than Edmonton, hands down. Like Matthews should have three cups. McDavid should have a cup. Like so, you could blame the salary cap. You could also blame these teams for falling short year after year after year, and it takes a toll on guys like McDavid and and Matthews who. It, who have really accomplished everything that you could in this sport at such a young age besides winning a Stanley Cup, they don't want to be the the Joe Thornton, the Patrick Ewing, the Henrik Lundqvist of of the NHL and not and be the greatest but not win a championship. Mm-hmm. So in two or three years down the line, when we're having this conversation again, hopefully we're doing this show two or three years down the line. I'd love to be doing it with you, pal. Hopefully we're having the same conversation about how Edmonton has fallen short year after year after year David's ready to move on. I, I totally. I mean, and and that's why does it does it not make so much sense that Austin Matthews goes out the door and and Connor McDavid steps in the door in Toronto? Does, I, this a is, wise like, this man. Is a pure I, speculative gonna, hypothetical. Yeah, it's, it's speculation, but you know, one day, one day, maybe, maybe if I charge that nine million on our with our friends at Shopify for consultation with NRD, I'll tell you who I heard this from. But a wise man, a very very wise man, told me. That uh, that uh, wouldn't be surprised one day to see if if you told me you can kind of play God in the NHL and know the players and what they want to do, if McDavid ended up in Toronto one day and Austin Matthews ended up with the LA Kings. I yeah, I mean, and that's that's I, I love I love the smoke, I love the substance to that, obviously. But then just to a lay hockey fan, like does does that not make the most sense in the world? And would that would that be not great for hockey? I'd love to have Austin Matthews courtside at Lakers game. You know, like just upping the the brand of of not just the Kings, but hockey. Like turning hockey into this what was once very mainstream and on Sports Center every night, kind of lulled off as NBC took the rights and ESPN didn't have a financial interest per se. Now they do again. Salary cap goes up. Why not turn hockey into a brand? And, and does Austin Matthews, being in, in an extremely large American market, do that? And I think it does. And then Toronto kind of has their their hometown boy, and and the world spins badly on, right? Mm-hmm. So that is looking to the future, and I want to look to the future more. NRD, let's talk about our friends over in Arizona. The 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 team that Gary can't quit. When you were under his desk the last couple of weeks. What was the sense of, from what you got listening to his phone calls with, with Bill Daly and those kind of folks about uh, about the future of the Coyotes? Obviously, the Tempe vote did not pass in May to build the arena on the uh, the landfill, so it's going to continue being a landfill instead of a multi billion dollar multi use uh, mixed use excuse me development. Thanks. Your thoughts Corporate on your you thoughts to, uh... on the beautiful people of Tempe voting that down. Corporate wants you to find the difference between these two pictures, the <laughs> landfill or the Arizona Coyote. Uh, Coyote. Uh, so, yes, uh, yes, yes. No, I, I from from my time under Gary's desk, uh, Arizona's not willing to give this up yet. They're exploring other options, uh, potentially even a life raft thrown by newly minted Suns owner, Matt Ashiba, joining them and retrofitting where the Suns are playing in downtown Phoenix to a... NHL ready and NHL feasible sheet of ice. 
And if that doesn't work, you have the owner of the Utah Jazz, Ryan Smith, ready to go in Salt Lake City. And I think that's where we're at right now. I, I think the Houston thing is I think the Houston thing is going to be expansion. Interesting. When, not if, when. Yeah. Uh, you know, Atlanta and Houston are going to have NHL teams. I think maybe that tomorrow, maybe not next week, within the five years, though, NHL, uh, Houston and Atlanta will get expansion clubs. I think if Arizona moves, it's Salt Lake City. The Houston hang-up right now sounds like Tillman Fertitta, who is sort of owner number one, like you look to 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 bring a team there sort of immediately. The hang-up is, is the billion-dollar fee, basically. He's like, hey, I, I want to bring a team here. I don't want to pay a billion dollars to do it. And that's why I thought relocation might make more sense. And and maybe can you expand for less than that? And you know, is it is it better to build out your own team and then lease it out like he does with all this kind of stuff than than try to relocate and buy the team and do all that junk? I don't know. I don't know. But I think you're right, Houston. And it sounds like the project in Atlanta is going to get, you know, third times the charm over there. They're putting in a better spot. And here we go. Atlanta, there's a lot of jokes about Atlanta with how it went with the Thrashers. Not so much the Flames. I think most of the people who were around for the Flame stuff are a little older now. Yep. But uh, people remember the Thrashers stuff. Ownership. That team did not lack, you know, fan bases or anything like that. It, it was ownership. So I think third time's the charm. Can, third time will be the charm there in Atlanta. But yeah, with, as far as Arizona goes, I think you're looking at exhausting every plot of land that could fit an arena in a parking lot in the entire state before then looking to Salt Lake City. Yeah. I, uh, I, in the last month or so, it feels like Salt Lake has made extensive progress. It feels like Quebec City has, has sort of fallen by the wayside as, as has Hamilton and really any Canadian option, as, as sad as that is to say. And Houston and Atlanta feel like, 33 and 34. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what's at Occam's razor, the most simplistic yep. thing is going to happen. That That's where we we feel like we're at right now. And I wouldn't be surprised. Hey, you know it makes sense. Hashtag I, makes sense. Hashtag makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta and Houston come in at the same time. I heard that somewhere too. Or, or th- if take the names off of them if 33 and 34 come in at the same time we'll see uh speaking of selling and buying teams michael andlauer now the owner of the ottawa senators after a prolonged saga of what i'm sure is just ridiculous backroom dealings and now you own the ottawa senators for 950 million dollars ryan reynolds is not involved the estate of eugene melnick still Retains 10%, which I can imagine was a sort of a sticking point. Uh, and Laura, which I think is interesting, has to sell his stake, his 10% in the Montreal Canadiens, which I did not realize he had, and now is the owner of the Senators. How do we get here, and, and why was it such a prolonged sales process, and what does this mean for the Senators, NRD? Couldn't tell you why it was such a prolonged sales process, other than the fact that, you know, there were 
big names, Ryan Reynolds thrown around and Snoop Dogg and, you know, this Nico Sparks bid that had Snoop Dogg's backing. And, you know, I think the weekend was a part of it too. Yeah. That, that never seemed yeah. to have like, they, they're from the, from the jump, there was sort of like, where's the financing here? Like, yeah. You have it was all a little bit of a John Spano, New York Islanders yes, kind of situation exactly. where it's like, where, where's this coming from? That's not, you know, if, until I'm proven wrong and until many are proven wrong, I think they're going to say that because there really wasn't any, anything of substance behind that. But mm -hmm. Other than, you know, Snoop Dogg went on first take. Let's talk about the Ottawa Senators. So hey. kudos to uh kudos to the Sens for uh for getting an appearance on ESPN's first take. But uh but Ann Lauer comes in. The thing that I'm most most interested about with Michael Ann Lauer owning the Senators now, and others have talked about this, is his connection to Patrick Waugh. Mm, Good friends okay. with St. Patrick, and he is now a coaching free agent. And while DJ Smith is still there technically as of this day behind the bench in Ottawa, he ain't going to be there for that much longer, barring a Stanley Cup run next season. So do you make that decision now while Patrick Waugh is sitting there? Do you make that decision next year where Patrick Waugh is still going to be sitting there? Um, it's just something to look out for, and I'm interested to see what happens there because I do think that Patrick Waugh deserves another shot at coaching the National Hockey League. I'm a bigger fan of him as a coach than others. I think he's done an excellent job with developing kids you know teenagers in the queue in the queue it's past you know five six years he's got two memorial cups to his name so i think he deserves a shot and you know maybe it's his buddy and michael allenlauer that's gonna give it to him i like it i think patty wah in the nhl is better than patty wah in the queue or c hl in general and just having him as a as an ambassador uh is better for the league so lastly nrd again looking to the future the draft is a week from today Next Wednesday, uh, they couldn't put it on Friday because of a Kid Rock concert. So that's where that that's where you see hockey in Nashville. Anyway, your expectations from the draft and and does it feel is are there any storylines that intrigue you really at all? I, I think the hockey draft needs more juice, but it's it's so hard because these guys, the majority, don't play for three or four years. So it's hard outside of Connor Bedard to get really excited because it's not like the college football draft where you have guys playing as rookies and it's not like uh, NBA where you have these superstar like highlight reel kind of things that you can turn into an NBA superstar tomorrow. So what what do you, is there, is there let me ask you a two-party question here. Any storylines next week that intrigue you? And two, is there any way to fix the NHL draft or, or are we kind of just locked into this, okay, cool, let's get excited for it for a night and then, See you in three years. Second question is easier. I think we're locked in yeah. at this point. This is what the NHL draft is. But for the first question, you know, listen, do, not saying you are, but don't discredit this. This is a really, really strong draft class. I think Absolutely. there's six guys in the top. I think the top six, top seven prospects, you could make a case to be a number one overall pick any other year if Connor Bedard didn't exist. Wow. So this draft class is stacked. I mean, there's, you know, Potential of Michkov going anywhere from number two, potentially with a trade, uh, to you know number eight. I think he doesn't fall deeper than Washington. Washington, some rumors out there that he's forcing his way to the Washington Capitals. So we'll keep an eye on that. But Michkov's going to go there in the top eight picks. You got Adam Fantilli, who is a absolute stud, and Anaheim's going to be able to build something really, really special if they don't move that pick with with Trevor Zegers and Adam Fantilli. And Troy Terry and Brian Strom's down the middle, and you got Jamie Drysdale on the blue line. Like, Anaheim's going to build something special there. Outside of Verdard, you got Leo, you know, 
Will Smith is a stud. I saw. I, Will, you know, I'm Will not Smith, a big end. He goes. He goes number one overall. Any other year, Fantilli does. Year. And I'm, I'm not an analytics guy, but I was looking at you know, shout out Jay Fresh and the Chart Boys and all that stuff. Will Smith's like NHL E star potential, whatever the fuck they call it, is like off the charts. Yeah. Like you know, Carlson's a first overall pick potentially. You got Reinbacher, that defenseman from Switzerland, who could be a stud. Like this draft class is loaded. So I think if there's any time to be excited about the NHL draft, especially if you're a team that's in the top, you know, eleven picks, this is the year. I think we see some trades too. I think people, I think teams that are are one piece away. Uh, I'll say the Buffalo Sabers. I think I I don't expect them to jump up. I don't think there's a lot of like they, they like where they're at. They they like their pieces right now. And they don't exactly have the, the draft capital as much anymore like they used to. They have prospect capital, but you do. Why not jump in and you're you're right. The the five guys at the top of this class for me are number one overall picks, including Mitchkov, which may be my favorite prospect in the class, honestly. Because but like Bedard is Bedard. I think he's gonna have a I, I think he's I think he's small. And that's my my biggest concern with Bedard is not just small height wise, but he's he's tiny. He's, he needs some more bulk. He's obviously a tremendous hockey player. Hockey IQ senses it off the charts. Shots ridiculous, but I think he he's going to get bullied being the, the chosen one, and guys are going to go at him. And he's going to have know a hard, and I, hard. Don't first know command. and don't. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Don't know and don't think that they're all going to be in the league next year. But mm-hmm. if Michkov, Fantilli, and Bedard were in, I would put my money on Fantilli to win the collar. So I, would, I kind of agree with that point. I would too. Yeah. Bedard yeah. may have the higher ceiling long-term, but I think Fantilli's the more NHL-ready hockey player. Connor McDavid didn't win the collar. So there, there you go. You. Do you do you think, does Mishkov, uh to bring a term back from the 1980s, does Mishkov defect here? He's going to the draft. Yeah. You know, Which, Elliot had kind of touched upon this in 32 Thoughts. I think it's more so the teams that he's meeting with, who he's talking to. Allegedly, he met with Washington, and he met with the Florida Panthers, and he met with the New York Rangers and the New York Islanders. Clearly, Russian delega- heavy Russian delegation in those areas. So, yeah. so you know, is it that that's going to get him to come over? I think the biggest question is, if you're a team like Montreal or the Philadelphia Flyers, two, two teams that are probably in that slot, that sweet spot for him, because Bedard's one, Fantilli's two. You're talking about four, five and six for, for Michkov, the Montreal Canadiens and Philadelphia Flyers. They've scheduled meetings with the uh, with Michkov. They haven't met with him yet at this point. Do you take him based on the talent, or can you not? I, I think if you're Montreal, I think you can afford it a little bit more as the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think you can afford to take him as the Philadelphia no. Flyers. I think this rebuild no. is too precious. I think you have too many things that can go wrong. I think it's too volatile right now. You know, unless you want to trade Carter Hart to the Kunlun Red Star for uh, for Medvedev Michkov to come over from the KHL, you know, uh, you can't take him because you have no guarantee that he's going to be here for the next three or four years. So, yeah. you know, like I think his floor is Washington. I think the most likely scenario is that he ends up either in Montreal or Washington. Michkov. I totally agree. I totally agree. I I would love to see. I mean, I would love to see Buffalo come up and take him. But who knows? Who knows? It'll be a really interesting draft. I, I extremely excited for the uh, the World Juniors. I mean, with this class and the guy like the two classes ago, I guess mm-hmm. that are, are still twenty and can play in that tournament. The the biggest problem is they might all be integral pieces to their NHL team and not allowed to go play 
World Juniors. Except for but. Shane Wright. Yeah. Okay. Love Shane Wright. I wish him the best. Anyway, that's going to do it for us on the mail-in, or excuse me, the mail-in podcast. Listen to that, too. The uh, Cold Stove podcast, myself and NRD. I'll, the Lastly, NRD, get Alexander Medellin into the Hall of Fame. Please. 2 p.m. today. As 2 p.m. We'll today. We'll find out at 2 p.m. I, it's been long enough. He went through hell to get here. His family went through hell to get here. And he, he's a Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. I don't know what the holdup is. I, maybe there's behind-the-scenes stuff. I don't know. But Cujo who, and Lundquist, both eligible? I think they both get in. I don't know. Uh, first sure. ballot uh, for them? or Not Cujo, right? Not Cujo. Uh, not Cujo. Hank will get in first ballot. Hank will get in first ballot. I mean, guys have done everything. And it's, it's the hockey offense, not the NHL offense. Guys done everything except win a Stanley Cup. McGillany, Stanley, or Stanley Cup, uh, Hall of Fame. Make it, make it happen, as they say. Rick and, Nash, too. Put Rick Nash in. Uh, is that his first ballot? Uh, yeah. I'm I not. Gonna, so. I don't say first ballot. I say yes to in, not first ballot. Sorry, no. Rick Nash. Zetterberg? Zetterberg, too? No, nope, not first ballot. Rob the Bob? I get no, no. How many cups does Zetterberg have? Two, three. Yeah, maybe Zetterberg Two, right? is first. I'd put Zetterberg over Brindamore, but Brindamore's yeah. kind of got that coat, like the coaching recency in my mind. So I don't know. Interesting class, though. But put put Mandilini in is my point. Um, you feel old yet, folks? That these guys are starting to go into the hockey hall of fame. I do. I, I was listening to uh, not to derail for some college football. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. They were talking about like, like the 2006 LSU Florida game, and they were like, "Oh yeah, Arkansas was really good that year. They had Darren McVadden and Felix Jones and Peyton Hillis." I was like, "That was 2006, seven. It's been 16 years since those guys have played." And, like, I don't think of Derry McFadden as an old, washed-up running back. I'm like, oh, yeah, Derry McFadden, he's probably 33. He'd probably get out there and put up a 900,000-yard season. It's like, nope, they're like 40. Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. NRD, that's going to do it for us in the Cold Stove Podcast. Uh, I am Brad Merriman, at Schmerriman. That's NRD, at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. He's not going anywhere. He might even come back. Might come back. Might might finally be the time to introduce myself to all y'all. Brett and I talked about that yesterday uh, in our production meeting. But we'll see if we if we go live for free agency the draft. I think uh I think we'll, we might do a little live excuse me, Twitter space for the draft in our Does that sound good? Sounds good with me. Beautiful. We'll see you guys next week. Uh keep an eye out for shows, keep an eye out for spaces, keep an eye out for merch. We got all that in the works. And uh Enjoy your week. Enjoy the draft lead up, NRD. We are Cold Stove Pod at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll see you all next week. See you.